Are your pieces big? Um, they're all over the place. Like one of them is 10 feet long and then some of them are like five inches by seven inches. So oh, wow. it, it depends. How, how long, how big was the biggest one? Uh, 10 feet long by oh, like 10 feet or and a half. I thought maybe it's, you said, I thought separated. maybe you said a hundred, but still 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big one. Biggest one I've ever done. <laughs> so go big or go home. Somebody said, right? Exactly. <laughs> I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center. Also on Facebook, The Art Box. But I like to get to know you. Yes, I So you guys met somewhere. How did you meet? Linda's all over the web looking at artists. <laughs> uh, through Alex. Alex introduced me. He said he oh. gave her my name. And then, yeah. <laughs> oh, and we love Alex. God, yeah. oh, what a nice guy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> and you go, you're a plein air artist, right? You go out into the I desert, am. but then your your style is more of an impressionistic, am I correct? Or abstract? Yeah, definitely. So all of my work has a root outside. Mm-hmm. Primarily oil paintings, smaller paintings on panels. Sometimes I'll do watercolor and then I'll take those, I I call them sketches myself, back into the studio Mm -hmm. and I'll play around with like the shape and the color and kind of give it this rhythm to it. Yes, I have seen a lot of rhythm in your work. Absolutely. (laughs) Where's where's your studio? Oh, at my house. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Great, Linda, how about you? I'm fantastic. With us today, we have Alina Lindquist, an artist out of Las Vegas. Hi, Alina. Hi. Want to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing in Las Vegas, and how you got there? Sure. I moved to Las Vegas from Reno when um, I attended UNLV. I ended up staying here after graduating, and through that time, Became really interested in painting, particularly plein air painting. And now that that consumes most of my time. <laughs> and your plein air painting is very impressionistic, isn't it? Want mm-hmm. to tell us about what you're thinking about when you're out working on your subject, what you do when you take it back into the studio? For me, it's really important to have that time spent in the environment with the subject that I'm creating because I see it transferring back into the larger works I make. For me, it's almost like a mini meditation in a sense, the time out there. I'm just getting the form, the color, and the overall rhythm and dynamicism of the environment. And then when I take those paintings back in the studio, I usually make them larger, scale them up, edit some things out, some things in. I love to do plein air, and 
when I do it, it's all about capturing the feeling, I think, of being out there. Would exactly. You? Okay. Yeah. yeah, feeling and then working with the light. That's always like the biggest struggle because it's constantly changing so fast. Like Absolutely. you have to commit to like where you want it to be. And that can be <laughs> problematic sometimes when it's changing. Oh, absolutely. Do you ever do any exercises to help you capture that quickly? And I'm asking for a specific reason. I'll I'll kind of get in here. When my husband and I were staying down at Tybee Island, we, we had a view of the ocean. And when the ships came in, I would have maybe three minutes to try to capture them, maybe five, you know. And so that was mm-hmm. a good good practice for me to paint quickly. So I'm wondering, do you do any practice or have you done this so long it's just so easy for you now oh it's definitely not easy it's still <laughs> a challenge each time mm. but I'll do smaller like little studies that I'll do on a paper and I'll divide it up with tape and just do like really quick impressionist marks trying to get the lines and like value like the light and dark right but it's an ever ongoing learning experience I believe oh absolutely now you mentioned um, light. So mm-hmm. me being a photographer, I rarely ever shoot in the middle of the day because it's always yeah. blue hour. It's either sunrise, sunset. What about mm-hmm. what about you? Yeah, ideally, I like to paint in the mornings, right? Because that's when the mornings and afternoons, right? Uh, or not afternoons, but evenings. That's when the light is the best, let's say. But like realistically if I'm traveling somewhere and then I set up to paint and then sometimes it's like one o'clock and the light is like not the best but I just go with it because I want to capture the environment I'm in and then that's when I'll bring it back to the studio and maybe I want to change the time of day the painting I originally started out with so and we have certain challenges here in the Mojave Desert when I was in the Midwest the big challenge was the bugs and you can handle that with bug spray but here when I try plan A air painting, you know, a lot of times the wind picks up and my stuff is blown away. And now yeah. because it's so hot, I tried with acrylics and they're drying the minute I get them out on my palette, you know. Oh, so gosh. It's, it's yeah, definitely, there's, there's definitely a challenge. It's definitely a challenge with the mm. like environment, especially wind. I always check the wind before I go out because if it's over like... I don't know, like 12 miles an hour. I'm like, no, like it's just not going to be a good painting day, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it also produces that challenge, I suppose, of like you really only have certain times of the year where the painting will be like the optimal time to go out. So you have to take advantage because like summer is coming. I would say that like in Games of Thrones, you know, like winter is coming for me. It's summer is coming. Mm-hmm. I have to get out and paint before it's too hot. And you work with acrylics, right? I work with oils. Oh, oils. Okay. So yeah. they're more, much more forgiving comes to heat, right? You can... Most definitely. Okay. Yeah. The, I, I need to switch to oils, Steve. Steve, write a <laughs> yeah. note there. I, I will. <laughs> Since I dabble in oil, and I say dabble, when I do something, then I have to wait for like two weeks for it to dry. So mm-hmm. if you're doing plein air, and now you have to come home... What do you do? Carefully mm-hmm. set the, uh, the, the painting <laughs> have, in your car? Yeah. So um, over the years, I've definitely condensed my materials I bring out with me. And I found these panel carriers. They're by Raymar. 
and they just slide in. You can fit up to six panels in them. So they've saved my life many times and allows me to go further out into the environment and carry my painting back safely. They've been a good addition to my plein air setup. Well, how does that stop the the pen? Because I assume when you walk back, your paintings, your paint is wet still. Yeah, so it will be in the panel, so the panel carrier. Oh, So it's, okay. like, shut off. Yeah, you can put up to six panels in there, and you slide them in, and then you close the lid, and then it's protected, and they can't touch one another. They have enough space in between, so, oh. yeah, it allows it to sit without being oh. rubbed up against. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they make that in a backpack version, <laughs> if you have to hike a couple miles in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or, or you or you or or you go camping overnight. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll stop being silly. <laughs> Do you have a particular easel or equipment that you you like because I have to ask, I'm still using TV trays and you know, just I haven't decided yet what to buy. Several years ago I bought what I thought would be a really nice setup and it was so spindly. I ended mm-hmm. up not using it, so I'm I'm back to the TV trays. What do you use? Yeah, so I primarily use facade boxes, and I have two that I really like. One of them is, I believe it's Open Box M, or I believe that's right. It's wood, it's handmade, and it takes like a while for them to make it. I think I had to wait like four months until I got it, but wow, it's so nice, and I love it. I also have an Edge Pro... Pashad box as well, and that's magnetic. They're two different sizes, so depending what I want to do or where I'm going, I'll choose one or the other, but both of those I would highly recommend, um, especially the Edge Pro one. The Everything's magnetic on it, so the way you put the panel in, the clips are magnetic, and the side trays are magnetic, so you can have your bandsaw and everything stick to it so it doesn't fall off, and it's very convenient. Uh, Linda just put a star next to that note right I there. I did. I'm going to be looking online. What kind of oils do you prefer? Um, we talked to a Kansas City artist recently, Greg Summers, and he says he uses non-toxic ones. I can't remember the name of them. Do you have a particular brand that you prefer? Most recently, I've been using Gamblin. I really like their colors. They're really bright and the consistency when they come out of the mm-hmm. tubes. And it's made in... United States as well. So I think it's a win-win. Where do you get your ideas for your styles? One of my major influences is an artist named Phyllis Schaefer. She works up in the Great Basin area, Lake Tahoe, and I've done a couple of workshops with her. And you look up her style, you'd be able to see like, oh, like a relation between it. Also mentioned in your bio that you're influenced by Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah. While at UNLV, for one of the painting classes, we had to do like master copies, right? And I, I chose uh, O'Keefe and I got to um, learn by copying some of her landscapes. And it was, I don't know, so transformational. And I definitely incorporate a little bit of her into my work. I remember hearing a lot about master copies from Tyler mm-hmm. when, oh, when, sure. when Tyler was talking about going mm-hmm. through school and his progression. And They're I- helpful for understanding so many different things and aspects when it comes to painting. Oh, sure. You wrote, and I love this, I listen to the rhythms of the land and try to best transmute that with paint. I can just see you sitting out there almost in a Zen pose with your paint, and I think it'd be fun just to watch you. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I, I consider it like 
a meditation for sure, especially when I'm hiking and going to more remote places with all of my gear. It's an exercise to get up there. And then once you're up there, just like take it all in, breathe it in. Where, where do you hike? I go out to Red Rock a lot. And then Death Valley is a, another place I really enjoy going to. Um, I'll like hike into the sand dunes with my painting gear at the top of the sand dunes. And that's really fun for like sunrise and all of that. I'm also go up to Mount Charleston during the summer through the high areas up there and the bristlecone pine trees up there as well. How did you get started in art? I, I'm reading that you ended up graduating with three majors, but let's go back a little bit to when you were a child. Did you, yeah. was, did you just love art from the minute you picked up a crayon? Tell us about that. Yeah, so it was definitely a major aspect in my life growing up. But when, when it came to middle school and high school, I turned more towards academic stuff. And I kind of put that aside and mm-hmm. took as many AP classes as I could, got a lot of scholarships to go to school. And I actually started out university as a hospitality major. Um, and that first semester, I realized I didn't want to do like anything I had planned and um, ended up switching my major is to anthropology and art history. And then through both of those, I was like, I might as well just do art if I'm here. <laughs> I added that in. And then I took a couple workshops with the artist I mentioned, Phyllis Schaefer. And then I'm like, I might as well just commit myself all the ways. And mm-hmm. here I am today. So, And that was at UNLV? Yeah. Elena, you are the second artist that we've interviewed with a background in anthropology. How mm-hmm. does that influence your work? Yeah, I think it influences my work by adding like another lens to see the environment through and how people interact with it. And just maybe it doesn't come across in the paintings, but while I'm painting, it's interesting to see like what people do when they're outside in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, But from another point too, through anthropology and art history, those were two of my major things focusing on yeah I don't know if it necessarily comes through my work but if you were to talk to me you know like outside the work like I'm heavily like very interested in so much of art and like the evolution of humanity and how that intertwines I mean I think of art as it's one of the first behaviors or cultural events to be preserved for humanity you know and the cave paintings in France and Spain and Indonesia it's one of the first records right of not just like the bone evidence of evolution or tool making but of like creative thought mm-hmm. so i find that yeah. really interesting and i dive into that <laughs> when i'm not painting steve and i are really into petroglyphs and pictographs and yeah. oh my gosh we're so fortunate to be out here and see some of those early pieces of art and messages as well mm-hmm. have you seen the collection um that they have at the barrack in the back uh, what's what's up there right now? I haven't been recently. Well, I mean, this is in the back, so um, I guess you know the barrack was um, a museum at one time. Oh, the the L, yeah. So yes, <laughs> I have um, been in the collections a lot because I was an intern there. So yeah, they have a lot of um, like arrowheads and other tools and ceramics and 
they have a, they have a bunch back there in the collection. <laughs> yeah, they do, and I, I think I think one of Paige's jobs is to, to find homes for them. To do, yeah, yeah. When I was there, they they had the most random things. Honestly, there was a football there that I was like working on deaccessioning because, like, why would they have a football <laughs> from this random team? Um, so it's it was quite funny, but I think it made its way back to some football hall of fame or something. Oh, did it really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> traveled some overseas, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so during my time in undergrad, I spent a semester in Viterbo, Italy, along with spending a semester in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and lots of traveling in between. Traveling is very influential for my work and seeing things and bringing it back to the desert, giving me perspective in that way. When you start <laughs> with a piece of art, where mm-hmm. do you start? Do you start upper left, the middle? I start, so I start with taking like a a towel, dipping it in the gamsol, dipping it in, I usually use like a burnt sienna and just wiping the canvas so it's not white. And then I'll start with an erasing drawing. So I'll use my like paint thinner, so I use gamsol, and then I'll just make the major lines on the panel. And then that sets, that starts to set up the composition and then I'll go in with paint and then make the basic shapes. And then from there, I'll start adding color. Okay. And what size brush? Oh, all, all the sizes. <laughs> I try to start off with a bigger brush at the beginning and then work my way down to smaller brushes. But my bad habit is just taking a smaller brush and never, <laughs> never changing it. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I really like working with the angular brushes as well. I can get some fun edges with those. You are getting ready to display some work right now. You want to tell us about the project you're working on? Yeah, so I have been working on a solo exhibit for basically the past year. It's going to be called Musings from the Mojave, and will be at the West Charleston Library July 25th through October 1st with a closing reception on September 28th. That's exciting. Very exciting. It's my first solo show. So I've been in group shows, right? But this is to make all of the work that will go in there is a lot. <laughs> and what size are your pieces for this? Um, so anywhere from five by seven inches to 10 feet long and every everything in between. So it's a wow. good mix. It'd be great. How do you handle mistakes and the critic in your head? Over time, I've been become more confident with when I don't like something, I'll just, you know, take the paint thinner and wipe it away, depending what stage I'm on with the painting. I just, I try not to be too attached to what I make. And if it's not working, it's better to start again than to try to make it work. Oh, really? Because I've been down that rabbit hole where you're trying to make it work. (laughs) Yeah, and then it just gets really muddy and then my form just kind of degenerates and I'm like, oh, I need to start over. (laughs) I guess there's a lot of pressure when you're working on a 10-foot painting Yeah, to start over again. The the larger ones are definitely more planned out. Like I'll have multiple sketches. I'll decide basically everything before I step foot on the canvas. Whereas with the smaller pieces I do outside, those are more loose and nothing's planned for them, right? Because I'm in the moment making them. 
Do you ever, when you're thinking about making a, a large version, do you ever paint it as a smaller version first, or, or is it uh, does the design totally change? Is that not workable? Um, it, it really depends. Most of the times I'll take whatever I do outside and I'll end up sketching it out um, with different proportions first okay. to see what looks best. And then I'll choose a proportion and I'll usually do a couple thumbnail sketches and address value. So how light or dark something should be. And from there, I'll transfer it on the canvas. Do you think you use much problem solving in your art? Yeah, I would say more so for the plein air work I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get creative when in environments changing, whether like wind, gusts of wind come your way and you have to secure something or like once again with the lighting, how fast that changes. So you have to either be like, okay, I'm going to stick with the lighting it is now or like what it was a half hour ago or I'm going to you know, be flexible with it. I noticed you wrote that it's good to take breaks and not rush, rush a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, I, I've had a quote that's been in my head ever since uh, sixth grade. So my, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Steen, was very influential within art <laughs> for me. I remember him saying that when you feel like you want to rush a piece, step away because it's not going to be good. You're not going to be putting all of the effort and attentiveness into it as if you're, you know, naturally feel inclined to work on it. So whenever I feel like I just want to hurry up and finish this piece, I step back and let it rest for a day or two, and then I'll come back to it ready to work on it. Yeah, that's great. From your sixth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still in my head to this day. <laughs> wow. Kudos to yeah. you, Mr. Steen. Yeah, let's hope Mr. Steen's going to listen to this. Yeah. I'll have to send it to him. <laughs> oh, so you're in touch with Mr. Steen. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great. I recently was in a workshop, and one of the quotes our teacher said was, don't just do something, stand there. So I love that, too. I, yeah. I thought that's a great quote, because sometimes we do tend to just paint and paint and paint and not totally get the whole picture we get into trying to fix a little part and then find out that it doesn't match the rest of the piece at all exactly and for me when I'm working on those larger pieces I definitely like every maybe half hour or hour or so I'll step back to the other mm-hmm. side of the room look from it from afar and then I'll come back up close again and keep making adjustments that way so I don't get stuck on like one localized area it's interesting you say that. We've interviewed some other artists. Actually, there was two of them talking one time, and they talked about that one of them likes to take a picture of his art and then go back and look at it on the computer. Because he says mm-hmm. he gets a different um, view of that. And the other one said that they like to either hold it upside down or look at it in a mirror. Yeah, the bo- both of those I do occasionally. I definitely I take pictures of my work as I'm going through so I can see if like what I added was like beneficial or not and if I don't like what I did I can take it back right but especially looking at it upside down is very helpful as well because it disorientates what you think it is and it allows you to like actually see what it is instead of what you think it is 
Oh, that's a great thought. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah. You don't know how many times now that I've taken, since I'm a photographer, I've flipped my pictures upside down and <laughs> say, okay, what did they say again? When we interviewed Greg Summers, an artist from Kansas City, he said that he works on like five pieces at a time. Is that right, Steve? And they're all setting in his studio. Um, yes, so he that's can, about right. He has a swivel chair. You do that too? <laughs> I'll have different, I have like three different pieces going on currently, mostly because the drying rate of them or like, I won't want to work on one, so I'll work on another. So it's always something I can work on, but I have a choice. Do you ever put something away in the, like in the back of the closet because you think it's terrible and you bring it out months later and say, oh, it really wasn't too bad? Yeah, that that actually happened this morning as I was like... This morning? (laughs) Yeah. Good was, question, uh, Linda. I think you two <laughs> talked to each other before this. <laughs> no, I was preparing my paintings uh, with the D-rings, right? I was installing those. And I found one that I had intended to put in the show, but I had totally forgot about. It was just in the back corner. I was like, oh, cool. Like, it's better than I thought it was. And I'm like, another painting for the show. How do you fight the urge to obey the rules of art? Which rules do you break and which ones become the tenets of your creations? Yeah, that's that's a good good question. So I think it's really important to learn the skills first and learn the skills by following the rules of like good composition and value and shading and all of that stuff. And then from there, that's when you can begin to explore with it once you have that grasp because if you don't have the grasp and you're just like randomly doing things like sometimes maybe things will turn out good but other times it will just be awful so if you can understand what you're doing and why I think it makes it a little easier but Mm. yeah I don't know if I follow any particular rules besides the rules that go along with oil painting as in like fat over lean like you don't want the more oil saturated paint on the bottom layers like you want the if it's going to have more oil in it it should be on the top layer so i follow that for the technical reasons for when it dries it doesn't crack type thing but i think that's about it otherwise there is anecdotal evidence of dream inspired creativity given that do you dream about your art i definitely dream about the desert so therefore yes i do it doesn't necessarily translate directly into my art but more so the sketches I'll do in my notebook and other little projects I'll do. But to like my bigger paintings, not yet. I'll say that. (laughs) I have a question that maybe you can help some of us like me who do not have an extensive background in art. I'm a little bit hesitant to take workshops because I think sometimes at a workshop you learn how to paint like whoever is your teacher and it's difficult to develop your own style um Mm -hmm. can you talk about the pros and cons of workshops and maybe give a little advice to people like me yeah i I think workshops are great because you can see the artists you're working with directly work on their paintings and demos they're doing you can see how they set up their palette how they mix their paints and how they apply it, how they use the brushes. So I think that information is very valuable. And 
you know, the way their teaching or their style is just another like tool in the toolbox as I see it. Um, you can take what works for you and leave what doesn't and experiment on your own to see how much you want of that in your work. Oh, I appreciate that advice very much. Yes. Yeah. So in other words, you gain something. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And there's there's so many good artists on YouTube as well that do demos and work through things and I found helpful. But I don't know. I think it's extra special when you're in person with the artist and you can like physically be there watching them do their thing. Just a little bit of like magic to that. I did a Zoom workshop during COVID. Uh, my instructor mm-hmm. was in England He's really, really good. And he gave all of us feedback, which was really interesting, too, because I learned so much from listening to teachers talk about not just my painting, but but other paintings from students are working on. The thing that I felt was more difficult was you, when you're there in person, you, you can see the brush strokes so much easier than going through some kind of a video. We're pretty lucky that we have Kayenta just up the road that has mm-hmm. some interesting and good artists in for classes. Oh, yes. I just uh, took a class with David Shavlino. Shiv- they brought him in. It was a portrait class. So that was, mm-hmm. he was really good and I learned a lot. So That's cool. Mm-hmm. And Steve, we, bring, we have in the past brought some good artists into Mesquite as well. Yeah, I think there's a lady coming in, Lola, who was uh-huh. in for that, that Chris has her coming in. Elena, do you teach workshops? Uh, not yet. That's something I would love to get into at a future date. But right now, I've just been working on getting better uh, with my paintings and with color schemes and all of that. So one day, yes, I hope so. <laughs> Understand. Define um, what creativity means to you. Uh, creativity is the ability to to see and I think interpret things in new ways that haven't been done before necessarily. Okay. Can you tell us about your person? Unless you had, did you have a follow-up to that, Linda? I'm sorry. I did not. Okay. Um, Tell us about your personal breakthrough art piece. And I was going to follow that up with, tell us about your commercial breakthrough art piece. I think... One of my personal breakthrough pieces happened January this year, and it was of the Joshua Tree in Joshua Tree National Park, but it really showed me all of the work I've been putting into painting and the use of color and technique, and it just all came through on this this one painting, and it made me sit back and reflect of like, okay, like I can do this, like I can do this. And that will be one of the paintings that will be in the show uh, later this summer. Oh, I can hardly wait to see that. Yeah. Now, how about a commercial breakthrough piece? Oh, I don't think I've had that yet. Hopefully that will be coming up soon. <laughs> Some artists that we interview have to have a day job to support their work do you have that or are you totally I, supported by your art uh that's a goal of mine to be supported my by my art uh, soon but mm-hmm. right now i actually work in a poker room on the strip in las vegas oh wow 
Yeah, it's it's an exciting, interesting, never a dull moment there. But I like it because I have my mornings and afternoons to paint, and then I go to work in the evenings. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And, you know, that's totally from another side of your brain, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it's the complete opposite of what I <laughs> what I paint. This is like gambling in Las Vegas. So, so you're the desert. <laughs> so you're a de- yeah, that's really funny. So, so you're a dealer then? Uh, I'm actually I'm a massage therapist. So I work on like poker players while they're at the table playing. Oh, that's interesting. So actually, it's more of an artsy thing, not so much of. Um, uh, right brain did i get that right yeah <laughs> well let me say this then and you don't have to answer it of course or you can answer <laughs> it and we won't put it in but um when you're giving them a massage you're obviously looking at their cards mm-hmm. are yeah. they are they doing better during the massage or worse <laughs> it depends on the player honestly it's it's really interesting though because i can see how they think and what cards they want to keep or what cards they want to play with that, like, you know, I'm like, why are you playing with this? And, like, if they get away with it, you know. So it's it's interesting to to see from a psychological vantage point, too, of how they play. I think it'd be so difficult to concentrate on poker when somebody's giving me a massage. (laughs) That's You'd be surprised with some of these, uh, the people that play tournaments they can go especially for world series like they can go on for like two four hours six hours like it, it's crazy because they like i don't know it helps them focus some of them <laughs> oh sure i'm sure you get st- sore sitting in one position for so long. yeah yeah well we interviewed one of our artists who did really well mm-hmm. in a poker tournament down there and she was talking about but sitting at the table for four or six hours or something mm-hmm. like that. Too. If you could go back in time, a free trip back in time in the art world, where would you go and why? It's so hard to choose because there's so many different spots that I would like love to just be a fly on the wall for. Yeah, there you go. Like, fly on the wall. Part of me would love to see ancient Egypt like in its prime, just seeing everything being built i think that would be really cool and then our other part of me just wants to hang out with john singer Sargent and watch him paint <laughs> oh, I, I love john singer Sargent. oh my gosh yeah. now, i wonder if, if john singer Sargent was painting and he was getting a massage would his paintings be better or <laughs> oh, steve, i'm, I'm steve. sorry hey steve we're changing the subject now <laughs> I have a question here. We'll get back on topic. <laughs> um, what What do you hope to express with your art, and what message, if any, would you like people to see? Uh, I want to express my enthusiasm towards the desert or whatever natural landscape I end up painting, and I want people to be inspired to go check it out themselves because all of my work does stem from a single, like a different location. So. While it may not be 100% realistic, people can go out to that location and see it and, you know, see my interpretation versus what it is and what their interpretation of it is. And I've looked at your website, uh, your pieces. It's absolutely beautiful. You want to give us, uh, tell us um, your address for your website? Yeah, so it's simply Alina Ray, and that's A-L-I-N-A-R-A-E dot com. 
And it basically just has my portfolio on there as of now. Sounds good. While you're painting, do you listen to music? Radio? Yeah. The Art Box podcast or book on tape? (laughs) All the above. Um, (laughs) I'll listen to a lot of podcasts. That's usually in the morning hours, I find. And then in the afternoon, I kind of switch over to music. Okay. Oh. Yeah. He was in there, who told us the other day that they, when they're starting, they listen to music, but there can be no words. It has to be mm-hmm. instrumental. And I found mm-hmm. that interesting because they have to, they said words, they can't concentrate. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think it just depends on the day for me. Like sometimes I won't want to listen to a certain type of music or other times like you know, like no podcast at all. But then other days I'm like, oh, that's all I want to listen to is like, you know, this podcast with this person. Yeah. What do you see happening for Alina in the future? Continue to paint. I would like to go on to get an MFA. So hopefully in the coming years. And yeah, just continue traveling and painting. You want to tell us, do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I have a younger brother. Is he an artist as well? Uh, he's more of a musician. So he definitely oh, got okay. the music genes, and I did not. <laughs> I'm more of the visual arts, right? And he's more of the, the music guy. Interesting. Will he listen to this podcast? Probably not. <laughs> Us brothers are so terrible. <laughs> Elena, what has inspired you this past week? This past week, um, or even just yesterday, I think, are the flowers that are blooming right now in the Hobby Desert um, and getting to witness them and appreciate them before it gets too hot and they disappear. Um, the cactus flowers have started blooming. I was out at Red Rock yesterday and they're just so pretty and beautiful. So spending time with them before it gets too hot. <laughs> yeah, we've had a good, a, a really good spring. After a nice wet winter. Exactly. Steve and I were enjoying the flowers out at Gold Butte here. Started, I think, with orange mallow globe. Mm -hmm. What is it? Globe mallow. Globe mallow, yeah. Yes. And then we had California poppies. And uh, the hills hills were were orange. They were beautiful. Yeah, brittle bush. It's like... They're on a pageant, you know. Every color comes through at a different time. Every plant is just beautiful to, right now in the desert, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So beautiful. <laughs> oh, Elena, have you seen any? Because we haven't this. Have you seen any desert five spots in Death Valley? Desert what? Desert five spots. What are what are five spots? Oh, I have to send you a picture. They're our okay. favorite. They're they're like my favorite wildflower, and they're oh, okay. they're here and there in Death Valley. They're pink, and they have dark purple spots, but there's oh, only wow. but there's five spots. So wow. I think I think there's five leaves in each has. So it's almost like uh, a tulip kind of thing, but it's a desert five cool. spot. And I've really only seen them in, in Death Valley. I think I don't think they're endemic to Death Valley, but that's the only place I've seen them. And of course, unfortunately, Death Valley did not have the uh, super bloom this year. No, it didn't. I was talking to the Rangers when I was there last, and they said it was just like it was really cold, like 
later than they expected it to be. Like, yeah, they got a lot of rain, but it was also very, very cold for a, a while. So that delayed the flowers. Yeah, bummer that it was the the spring of 2016 was was just amazing. Well, Elena, we want to thank you for being on our podcast today. Your work is phenomenal. It's so expressive. And we hope our listeners will get on your website and and look at some of your work. And Steve and I are looking forward to coming down and looking at your exhibition in Las Vegas. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm excited for you guys to come down and check out my work as well. Yeah, we'll have to make a a long day of it because there's a lot of uh, there's so much in Vegas that we need to uh, some other artists yeah there's a lot going on yes there is okay Elena thank you so much have a great day Elena bye you too Bye. bye broadcasting from Mesquite Nevada In the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.